It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today on First Lady and Friends, I had a really fun conversation with Principal Milton Collins at Lincoln Elementary School. He has had an incredible career in education, starting in uh, Illinois and, and Arizona and then coming to Utah. Can't wait for you to take a listen to our amazing conversation. Let's get proximate. We are here on First Lady and Friends. We are really excited today to have a special guest that I met a few months ago who is a powerful voice in the education community. We have Milton Collins. He's the principal of Lincoln Elementary School, and we are so excited to hear your story and and to just learn more from you. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored once again. uh, (laughs) You know, I know I was at... The mansion for the the banquet and to sit at the table with you and your husband was like almost unreal for me. I was like, "Wow, is this really happening?" And uh, but first, I want to thank you for sending me a card. Of course, you know my mom just recently passed a few weeks ago, and that was uh, very traumatic for me because it's just so close to my mom. But to to get a card from the first lady, <laughs> I opened it and I'm just sitting in my office and shed a tear. Aww. So thank you so much for 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 thinking about me well, during, this, I, during this rough time. Yeah, well, I remember you talking about your your mom and mm-hmm. and I know how close you are and it's just it's a tough time. It's it's doesn't matter how old you are, you still you're still your mama's boy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, you know I think I, I tell people all the time like. Uh, I'm the ultimate mama's boy. If you look up mama's boy in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of me and my mom. That's how much of a mama's boy I am. And, you know, losing her is like a, it just feel like I'm missing something because I, you know, would talk to her three times a day, every day. Mm -hmm. The the ride to work was the morning talk with mama coming Mm -hmm. home from work was a the, the talk with mama and then she would call me every night before she go to bed and mm-hmm. say good night and you know not to have that is yeah. it's just a part of me that's missing so yeah. but I know I gotta I gotta move on and, and I will because <laughs> that's what she would want me to do yeah but it, but it, but it's she's she's so much a part of you it's it's yes. it, it's really amazing I, I want to go back to to the beginning and Talk to me a little bit about where you grew up and 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 your mom and and your experience in in uh, Mississippi, right? Yes, where you yes. where you started, where you where yes. you came from. So talk a little bit yes. about uh, about your upbringing there. Yeah, Charleston, Mississippi, the home of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> oh, I didn't know <laughs> yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, so we we actually had my mom's services at uh, my high school auditorium, which is named after Morgan Freeman. Okay. And so, yeah, I grew up poor. Uh, my dad died when I was seven. Um, the first time I met him, I was six years old. I didn't, I didn't know who he was. He was this guy that my mom had a relationship with, and out came me. <laughs> and 
You know, the first time I met him at age six, I was afraid of him because I didn't know who he was. Uh, a year later, my mom came home and said, hey, your your dad passed away and you got to go to his funeral. Mm. And I was like, what? I, I Like I had no feelings because I didn't know him. And I, I remember this like yesterday. I'm sitting on the front row with family members that I didn't know, had never met. And my mom, who wasn't a part of the family, was sitting in the back of the church. And I just kept looking back at her. And I was trying to look into the coffin to see what my dad looked like. And so that whole experience, you know, growing up in poverty and without a dad was was hard. But, but man, educators, coaches, you know, were in my life. And, and my mom was that main one. I mean, there were times where I would buy her Father's Day gift and she's like, why did you get me a Father's Day gift? I was like, Mom, you you know you've been mom and dad, so you deserve to be recognized twice a year. <laughs> Not only that, but like I honor my mom every day, you know, because she was that person who raised me and my brother under circumstances where, you know, I tell people um, where I am right now, I like I don't know how I made it, but it was through her teachings, you know, and, 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 and blessing us with being able to be kind and have that positive attitude no matter what the circumstances are. So she instilled that in me and my brother. And and that's how I got to this point. But it's still to this day, I remember LeBron James when he won his first NBA title with Miami. And he stood at the podium with the Larry O'Brien trophy and the MVP trophy in his hand. And he said, I'm not supposed to be here. And I was like, what is he talking about? And the more and more I dug into his story, you know, raised by a single mom, you know, lived in poverty and, and basketball is what got him to where he, he is today, you know, which basketball played a big part in my life mm-hmm. growing up in Mississippi. And, you know, God blessed me with a little talent to play basketball and, you know, it, it's hard for me to share these stories now that my mom is gone. It, it was real easy before, but now it's like really hard because I can still hear her voice when I was being recruited by like all of these schools in Russ College. Russ College is in Holly Springs, Mississippi. It's one of the HBCUs. It's the second oldest HBCU in Mississippi. And so this coach comes to my house in our living room and offers me a full scholarship. And my mom, who never gone to college, was like asking questions, scholarship, what are you talking about? And he said, his education is paid for, for free. And my mom's like, where does he sign? <laughs> and I'm like, mom, can we talk in the kitchen? So I take her in the kitchen. I was like, mama, like, I don't want to commit. Like there are other schools like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, like all of these other schools are recruiting me. She was like, no. Are those other schools in my living room offering you a free education? I was like, Ma, but they will. Let's let's be patient. Let's wait. She was like, you better get back in there and sign those papers right now. And, you know, out of respect for my mom, I, I did, you know. And I, I go in and sign the papers and, and I go off to Russ College. And so, you know, just like with any young, especially young African-American males, when you ask them, what do, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Guess what they're going to say? Basketball player. Basketball, yeah. football, yeah. major league, one of the major sports. Like, yeah. that was me. Mm-hmm. And I thought going to college was my path to the NBA. Right. And 
I get there and, you know, had a good freshman year and coach called me into his office and we went over stats and he said, I'm looking for bigger and better things out of you next year. And then he says, what are you going to do with this degree when you graduate? I said, degree? I'm going to the league. I'm going to the NBA. <laughs> He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm going to the NBA. He was like, first of all, you're not tall enough. You're not fast enough. You're not good enough. Like shattered my dreams. I'm looking at him like, you recruited me. And I'm saying this to myself. Yeah, yeah. You recruited me and now you're telling me I'm not good enough. And I mean, he he broke it down and just gave me some great advice. And he said, do you do you see ESPN in our gym after games? Any reporters talking to you? Do you go to your room and watch your highlights on ESPN? I was like, no. He said, do you know how many kids that goes to your Dukes, North Carolinas, Kentuckys? Do you know how many of those kids are not going to the NBA? And, and it didn't dawn on me. And I was like, okay. And then I left. First thing, straight line to my dorm. Mama, come get me. I was crying. I don't want to be at this school anymore. This coach just told me I'm not going to the NBA. It's just like, stop your crying. What's going on? I was like, Mama, I told you I didn't want to come to the school. He told me I wasn't going to the NBA. And she said, that same man that sit in my living room and said that your education was paid for. Yeah, him, Mama, come get me. Please come get me. And she said, boy, listen to me. Like to this day, I have not received a bill from this school. So you get yourself together and go back to class. And she hung up on me. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just terrified. Like, oh, my God. And so I just I, I, I cried for a while. And then I was like, I just got to make it work. And uh, my college coach, who's still in my life to this day, uh, he 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 had me work in this this sports program. It's called NYSP, National Youth Sports Program, where we brought all of these underprivileged kids onto the college campus to participate in sports. Yeah. And so, obviously, I'm teaching basketball. And so, after that program, he was like, "There's a buzz about you on campus." All of the kids was like, "I want to go see Mr. Collins. He showed me this. He told me that." And he said, like, "I don't know if you know, but teaching could be in your future." Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, "I don't know." If I don't make it to the NBA, I'm going to major in mass communications. Maybe I can analyze the game. And he said, that field is so wide open. Like, you got to know somebody to get in. And But I guarantee you, if you go into education, you will get a teaching job right out of college. I guarantee. And, and he was right. Yep. Like, I graduated in June of 1987. In August of 1987, I was teaching third grade at Lorenzo Smith School in Hopkins Park, Illinois. Mm. 30 of the most beautiful kids. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, and I thought basketball was my thing. But being around kids and educating kids, that was my thing. Mm. Now that I look back on it, that was my thing. I love that story. Um, I I. It, it's so inspirational, especially um, to to your mom and and to those mentors along yes. the way. We we often talk about um, the the one caring adult mm-hmm. in, in a child's yes. life, and and so maybe talk a little bit about. Obviously, your your mother was was that one caring adult, or were there and, and coach? Were there other people in your life that that you felt really maybe 
were an influence on 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 you feeling like you could you could do this or you could be who you wanted to be? Well, my granddad, my mom's dad, like we for the longest we called him dad. Like mm-hmm. he was okay. the only yeah. other than my uncle, uh my my granddad and my uncle was the other male role models in my life. And they were farmers. Like mm-hmm. to this day, like people see me in a suit and I'm a country boy. I'm a cowboy. <laughs> I love cows. I love horses. I would be I would love to be on a farm any day. Yeah. And so you know, growing up around them taught me work ethic, and, and my granddad would always tell me to show up to work on time. Make sure you're early. You know, I learned that from him. You know, my uncle taught me how to respect women, you know, when my mom was telling me all along, but he too also was telling me, like, always respect women, never hit women, never put your hands on them, always show them the utmost respect. Mm-hmm. And, and think about how you would want your mom to be treated. Because I know how much you love your mom, but think about other women and how you would want them to be treated exactly how you treat your mom. And so it was my granddad and my uncle. Of course, I had my mom's sisters who are still living. Mm -hmm. You know, this death was shocking for them too. They played a big role in my life. And they were, I had like three other moms (laughs) that would just encourage me, um, I wasn't a troublemaker, you know, cause I feared my mom, like <laughs> Southern and the Southern woman, like she, you get You're out gonna of line get it twice as bad if you get home and <laughs> no matter if I was right or wrong, right. if it was reported that I did something wrong, she didn't want to hear the other side. It was, yeah, it was that. <laughs> so she was that. So I feared that. So it was always looking to try to do the right thing all the time. And, and now that I look back on that, all of that teaching like paid off just, mm-hmm. just having those people in my life. And my high school counselor is a, is another one that gave me some really sound advice because as a senior, my, my oldest daughter is 38. So my girlfriend who I thought was, I was going to marry in high school, uh, we got pregnant. And we were seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I almost didn't go to college. I wow. told my mom, like, Mom, I, I think I'm just going to get a job. I got to help raise this this baby. And my high school counselor found out about it and called me out of class one day. And I, I don't know if you remember, but when you got that call, somebody came to the classroom, <laughs> to the door, and like, the front office want to see Milton Collins and everybody's, ooh, what did you do? <laughs> and so I took the walk of shame out of the classroom down to Miss Blackman's office. And and she she said, you know, Milton, is it is it true that Priscilla is pregnant? You know, I was like, yes, ma'am. You know, being raised in the South, it was, I still got to catch myself now with yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You know, I was like, yes, ma'am. And she's like, so what are you going to do? And I said, you know, now that, uh, this has happened. Uh, I was going to go to college, but now I, I got to work and take care of this baby. And man, she gave me some of the best advice of my life. And she said, you know, and she had my paperwork. She knew I had committed to Russ College. And she said, do you know how many young African-American males from this town get the opportunity to go to college for free? Mm-hmm. Not only that, do something that you love. I know you love basketball. You're going to play basketball and you're going to get an education for free. You know, she said, I guarantee you, if you 
go get this college degree is going to put you in a much better situation to to raise this child. Like, I know your mom. I know her parents. They're going to take care of this babe while you go take care of what you need to take care of as far as, you know, continuing your education. Mm-hmm. And so she gave me that advice, went home and told mom. Mom was like, that's some good sound advice. Because my mom, she was always supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Because I told her, like, I think I need to get a job. She was like, son, if you feel like that's what you need to do, then by all means do it. Mm. But once again, school official, you know, yeah. my counselor yeah. gave me that advice and and it got me to where I am right now. Yeah, that one caring adult and, yeah, and several several caring adults, yes. it sounds like, in your life. And uh, just super powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I want to continue this conversation um, and and really dive into you know the next part of your career and yeah. and and the the beautiful experiences you've had as a teacher and we'll do that when we come right back. Okay. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than eighty thousand Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We have had uh, story time with pr- Principal Milton Collins. You are. We were talking about uh, your your ability to to connect with people and 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 be incredibly charming and so we're seeing that on display here today but let's let's get into so so you you finished school and you started teaching in illinois mm-hmm. and, and and then what so you know i get my first teaching job and, and it's pretty interesting you know i i um my fraternity is phi beta sigma my college roommate was in a different fraternity so kappa alpha psi keith wilson my, love that guy. So uh, when we graduated from college, we we went our separate ways. I went home to Mississippi and he went home to Mississippi. But that summer, he moved to Kankakee, Illinois with his uncle. And Kankakee is right out about 40 miles south of Chicago. Okay. And so he moved up with his uncle and his uncle took him around to the school system. He met a superintendent. Now, this superintendent, Billy Mitchell, was his fraternity brother. Mm-hmm. Hired him right on the spot, just <laughs> like that. And he calls me. He's like, man, I, I got a job. You know, I, I I told the superintendent about you. He want to meet you. Like, do you think you can come? You know, so I get to my mom. It's like, mama, I, can you get me to Kankakee? She says, where's Kankakee? It's in Illinois. Like, so she got me on the bus. I got yeah. there. Uh, so my first job interview was not an interview. I, I go into superintendent's office, which and my best friend was in there, my roommate, and they're fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. And we sit down. He was like, yeah, Keith told me all about you. And, you know, there's you only got one strike against you is that you pledged the wrong fraternity. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. He was like, but I have a third grade teaching position here. Do, do you want it? I was like, yes. And I was hired. Wow. No interview. Uh, hired as a third grade teacher at Lorenzo Smith School in Hopkins Park, Illinois. And it was like a 15 minute drive from Kankakee to to this school out in a rural area mm. where, you know, there was poverty. Kids just I grew up in poverty. 
so I could see through the lenses of these kids. I know what you're going through and just know that just, just trust me that I'm trying to, you know, guide you in the right direction where we can get you to be, you know, young, successful uh, citizens in this society, you know? And so that's where I started my teaching career there for six years. I taught third grade for three years, taught fourth grade, uh, and then the principal kind of saw some leadership abilities. He was like, Milton, I need to get you out of the classroom. Will you be the dean of students, which is mainly dealing with discipline? Right. And so I did that. And then my final year there, he asked me to take a self-contained special ed classroom, 11 kids. Now, supposedly, these were the worst kids in the school. Yeah. It was 10 boys, one girl. And I had them all day. It, it was it was a self-contained classroom. And I had them all day. And we always started, because I know kids like to talk. And they, they, they want to talk about their life story. And so we would have the circle every morning. I would let those kids just talk. And they would tell me stories that they're going through at home. And, and which sparked me to go do home visit. And that's one of the things I tell teachers now if you really want to get to know a kid, go to his house. After I, well, let me back up a little bit. My third grade class, my first class, and, you know, when you go to college, there's some things that they don't teach you. Correct. <laughs> they don't teach you about little Johnny, who's in my third grade class in the back. And I'm not using his real name. Johnny's yes, yes. <laughs> Little Johnny is in the back not doing his work, and I'm trying to get this kid to work. And this kid, a third grader, tell me I'm not doing. <laughs> I was like, what? You can't use that language in here. You can't talk to me. Get out of here. Go to the principal's office right now. I put that kid out of my classroom. So he goes to the principal's office. And, and later on, the principal came back down to me. And he was like, Mr. Collins, like, I think you need to go visit his home. You, you just need to see. And I go to this kid's home. I didn't, for, first, I didn't know I could go to kids' home, you know. I was like, what, I can go to their house? And I, I went to all 30 of them's home when I found out that I could go. So I go to this kid's house. I drive up. There's like five or six different adults there. You could smell marijuana. I saw liquor. And it just turned my whole thinking around. Like, I had to talk to this kid differently. I looked at him differently. I taught him differently, treated him differently, you know, and, and just built this really good relationship with this kid where that kid was one of the best kids in my classroom. This kid started dressing like me. Like he would come to school with his little sweater and his little tie and his mom would come like, she comes, I don't know what you're doing to him, but he's asking me to go buy him this and he wants to be just like you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ma'am, you know, that's great, but, you know, I'm constantly telling him I want him to be better than me, <laughs> you know. And that kid just turned around all because I went to his house wow. and I knew where he come from and I was able to teach him differently. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the biggest differences that I try to share with folks is know where the kids come from yeah. because – your background might be different, but when you see the circumstance, I'm amazed at how kids get, some of our kids get to school every day. Yeah. You know, like 
I, I realize that we're the restaurant sometimes. We're the mall sometimes. We're daycare. We're all of that. We provide food. And, and one of the most important things that we provide is is, is love and safety. You know, kids feel like we care about them and we, we, we love them and that we're going to keep them safe. Because mm-hmm. when they feel that, the learning becomes easy, becomes real easy, you know. And so that experience, learning that and doing a home visit, and then I went to every kid's home and every kid was different. Some kids was under pretty good circumstances, but I had 30 kids, at least 22 of those kids living in some circumstances where man my heart just was bleeding and I like at the end of the year when it was time for them to go I cried more than them (laughs) like because I didn't want them to go and and they stayed at that school so I'm going to the other teachers and like man please be gentle with this one he needs if you you need to know anything please ask me you know it's just like I built that connection and I got that feeling yeah yeah. And when you get that feeling, you, you've been an yes. educator. When you get that feeling where you know you're affecting kids' lives, that's the motivating factor for me. And starting out there, that gave me the solid foundation. Big mm-hmm. shout out to Robert Turner, the first principal, and, and Billy Mitchell, God rest his soul. He was the superintendent that gave me my first shot. Wow. Yeah. And and, and just goes to show how powerful Again, that that human connection is oh, yeah. and, and how much kids need and cry. well, we as adults need that. Of course, these kids need that. Absolutely. And, and they some like you said, some come from really tough circumstances. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your um, your decision to come to Utah. Okay, wow. <laughs> and mama is all in this one. So oh, Okay, I was going to say that. Okay. That's a long so, ways so, from mama, so right, I'm sure right, she wasn't right. happy. So so, so I stayed Okay, so I stayed in Illinois for 6 years. Um and um I was married at the time. My ex-wife um before we had Alexis, um we went through five miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And we were like, maybe we need a, a different location. You know, and all of my fraternity brothers and, and college teammates, they moved to Milwaukee right out of college mm-hmm. and had these connections. We moved to Milwaukee, you know, and I stayed there for 14 years. And, and that's where I got into administration, got my master's degree and got into administration in Milwaukee. And then my now my ex-wife, her dad, passed away all of a sudden, which sparked us to move to Arizona. So I came from Arizona to here. Okay. And so Sherry Kennedy, who's associate director at the Granite School District, she was my assistant principal in Arizona. And she had a a death in her family, and she moved back here. And then she started recruiting me. She's like, Milton, you need to come to Utah. I was like, Utah, really? (laughs) I was like, I don't know about Utah. I I don't know. My mom freaked out when I said I was moving to Arizona. <laughs> and so I called mom. I was like, you know what, mom? I'm thinking about relocating to Utah. Utah? <laughs> now, okay. She's like, I don't know a whole lot. But she's like, I know that there are no black people in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mom, I, I'm just going to go check it out. And so I came up for a visit one weekend. And of course, when I got off the plane, I saw those mountains. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God! And and like you know, you look all around, and so all you see are the mountains, right? And I'm like, I think I can do this. 
And at the time, my my youngest daughter was a, a senior in college, and me and her mom was splitting tuition. I was like, I don't want to make any major moves until we know that she's going to graduate. And then we found out that she's going to graduate. And then I started uh, talking with Sherry. I was like, hey, can you get me more information? She's like, go to the website. And then I, I applied. Uh, they called me in for an interview. Um, and the interview for me, because I had been in administration for a long time, so the interview process was pretty simple. You know, I just share my experience with what I've done because I've been a principal at a junior high, mm-hmm. elementary, and high school. Okay. So I've been at all levels, but I, I really prefer elementary. And so I come in for the interview. It was a simple process. Then they flew me back in for a second interview. That was in November of 2016. And then in December of 2016, they had me to come back out for a second interview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the first one was a lot of in-basket, you know, how would you handle this situation? So it was pretty simple because I had been through all of that. And then so the second interview, you know, I'm dressed in a suit. I'm thinking I'm getting ready to talk to a panel with teachers and, you know, all psyched up for that. And I go into the superintendent's office and the superintendent and his three assistants. Oh, and wow. they asked like four questions. And I was like, uh, that's it? <laughs> And uh, Dr. Bates, who was the superintendent at the time, he was like, you know, I know you've been at all levels. Like, what level would you prefer? And I was like, sir, I've had a taste of elementary. I would love to stay in elementary. But, of course, I will go anywhere you see where you where I might fit in. Yeah. And so uh, I leave. And then it was over the Christmas break that I got a call from uh, Rick Anthony. He's one of the superintendents, assistant superintendents. And like, hey, we want to. Uh, offer you a contract and hire you for the next school year. I was like, really? <laughs> and then I called mama. I was like, mama, they want to hire me in Utah. Of course they do. I know they do. <laughs> but why Utah? <laughs> yeah, so that I got recruited here and probably been the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm i going into my sixth year. And with that MVE award, mm-hmm. that was my seventh award in the five years that I've been here. And for those that don't remember, we've talked about a little bit about this because we've had other teachers that were part of that, uh-huh. um, but Most Valuable Educator yes. Award through Instructure in yes. Utah Jazz. Yes. And out of thousands and thousands yes. of teachers yes. and educators, uh, there were just a few selected yes. and you were one of them. And, yes. and so that that says you know, what kind of educator you are and, yes. and all the passion that you bring to education. It's It's yes. been amazing. Yes, you stepped off the plane, you saw the the mountains and um, what maybe what has surprised you a little bit about Utah? What, what's been maybe something that you didn't expect? You know, like, you know, growing up in the South, like I'm, I, I, I'm a food guy and <laughs> it surprised me. Like, I'm like, I can't find really good food. You oh, know, okay. that's the only thing like, like, when I when I got at Lincoln, you know, people were like, "You're going to Lincoln? That's a rough school." And I'm like, "What? Like that school is great. Like I got kids that speak 27 different languages, you know, so it's very diverse, which you know, coming here, I I just for me, I was like I thought it was just all white. I was like, I'm going to be at a school where's which which my mom taught us not to see color anyway. It yeah. didn't matter. I you can put me in a zoo with trained animals that we can teach and I can teach them. You know, that that's, that's just a mentality that I have. 
And so going to that school and then I did some research and I, I found a yearbook. And I was like, there's some black kids at this school. <laughs> there's Native American. There's a, like a whole different variety, you know? Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is going to be very interesting. Yeah. And for me coming in as, you know, an African-American male, which is so needed. Yes. Um, I'll never forget my first day. Um, I walked into a kindergarten classroom and this little African-American kid, he's going into fifth grade now. He walked up to me and he looked at me and he, he just, he rubbed my skin. He was like, you, me, same. Mm. I was like, oh my God. Like Lincoln is loaded with so many beautiful kids and, <laughs> I can tell you a story about every kid. God gave me this gift to learn names. Like I mm-hmm. probably know all of my kids' oh, names. Like it's just when a kid tell me their name, it just sticks and I mm-hmm. and, and it stays forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to get in politics. That's a great skill for politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know about politics. I, I just I I love I love being an educator. I love like being around kids and and you know, I can feel that they love being around me and I every chance I get I entertain them. I love it. And I love you it. know, the kinder teachers some days when, when I'm visiting classroom, they'll stick can't come in today because <laughs> I'll go in and just play and disrupt. You're gonna mess us up. <laughs> and leave. <laughs> yeah. So I had to be very careful, but man, it it's just the greatest job to have. Especially if you I, I truly believe that that God put certain people on this earth to do certain things. This was my calling. Yeah. Yeah. I truly believe that. I, I don't know if I could do anything. I don't even, I, you know, I'm 57 now and I don't even, I watch basketball, but I don't even like to play anymore. Like mm, when it was, yeah. it was so, all I want to do is be around some kids that I can influence to, to, to go the right way oh, and make that. positive choices. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing sort of as the future of education. Um, we'll get into that when we come right back. Okay. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with Milton Collins, the principal at Lincoln Elementary School here in Salt Lake City. Um, you, you, you've spent your career in education. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how you have seen it change over the years. And what do you think educators and teachers and, and, and education professionals need right now? Wow. There's, there's like so much, you know, and I, like, I know that there's only so much that I can control. And I, I just tell people all the time, like we as leaders, especially principals and, and people in higher leadership and education, like the, the, the mindset has to be that, that positive mindset, but, but what, what is the best thing for kids? You know, cause I, I think sometimes, especially when you get into the, the politics, mm-hmm. you know, it, you, you forget about the, the, the real reason why we're fighting so hard is not, is not that we need this or we need that. It's kids need this. Yeah. Kids need that. 
you know, and so when, when teachers come to ask me for something, they know, like, the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth is, is this for kids? How's this going to help kids, you know? I'll get you anything that you need as long as it's going to benefit kids. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. It's not about you. It It's about them. Mm-hmm. So the the positive mindset of, of keeping that focus of doing what's best for kids. And, and, and it's interesting that you said I should go into politics because people have <laughs> asked me that, like, you should go into politics. And it's like, I don't like, I don't know how I would handle that yeah. because my focus, my focus right now is, is doing what's best for Lincoln. Um, I, I can commit myself wholly to Lincoln. Cause like I said, my kids are grown, when I leave work, it's about self-care with me. Like, I'm going to work out. I bought a Peloton. I'm at Hot Works. I'm doing cryotherapy. I'm doing everything to keep my body and my mind fresh so I can be motivated because I know people are looking up to me. People are counting on me at Lincoln to be that positive influence to keep motivating them to want to do what's best for kids. And so I don't know how... I wouldn't know how to translate that into politics, <laughs> but but I I I do want to I do want to continue to have that voice for not only Lincoln but the Granite School dis- District, which is a great school district. I I don't know if I will work in another. I mean, I'm going to retire in five years, so yeah. I want to stay in Granite. You know where I know that I'm making a difference. And, but I know I can go somewhere else and do the same, but I really love Granite mm-hmm. because Granite gave me the opportunity to come here and, and do what I'm doing just to keep motivating and doing what's best for kids. Oh, I love that. Do you do you think that um, the needs – I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the students that, that, that we're seeing and we're talking to, and um, – it's hard to tell. There's there. It just feels like the the pandemic exacerbated a problem that was already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that was already there, but it, mm-hmm. it just made it so much worse. Um, when we talk about mental health, mm-hmm. what what do you think contributes to that? I mean, you've been in education a really long time, like you said. You were there before, you know, cell phones and social media and mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. came about. Mm-hmm. Do you see a big difference between um, those those kids, your early students, and the ones you're seeing now, and and sort of that mental health aspect? And do you think it is because of these these technologies, or or are you seeing something different? I, I'm seeing something different. Okay. And, and and here's what I tell people all the time. You know, um, there's only so much we can control, but when those kids walk through that door, we gotta pay attention. Mm-hmm. Got to pay attention. I, I'm i looking you dead in the eye every day. Every, you you got to come to my school and visit. Yes. You got to see my routine. <laughs> I'm coming. I, schools, <laughs> teachers don't have to be there until 820. I get there at 7 o'clock. I got to get in my seat. I got to get everything. I got to talk to my secretaries, make sure we're ready for the day every day. 820, staff have to be there. 820, I'm walking around the East teacher's classroom. Good morning. How you doing? You ready for the day? And I have a different relationship with every teacher. Mm-hmm. There's some teachers I'll stand there. And they want to talk and talk. I got to go. I got to see everybody else. But there are some where it's just like, hey, how you doing? You ready for the day? Happy Monday. And just keep it going. Stop and talk to the cafeteria ladies, custodians, mm-hmm. everybody. And then when the bell ring at 840, I have kids coming in the four doors. So I rotate. I might be with the third graders one day, kinder, 
fourth and fifth, third grade, they all come in different doors. And so I'm, I'm, I'm establishing those relationships. So yeah. I'm, I'm in their face all the time, but I'm standing at that door with those kids. And I tell my staff, every kid that come into your classroom every day, look them in the eyes. Mm-hmm. The eyes will tell you if something is going on. And I speak to every kid. Good morning. Good morning. I'm looking at them. And if they don't speak back, something is going on. I, yeah. hmm, what, what's going on? And they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. My dad got arrested. You know, mom was drinking. They'll tell you everything. And that bothers kids. And they want somebody to help them. You know, and I connect them with my social worker. You know, let's let's sit down. Let's talk this out. Do you need any help? Do you need anything? We got to pay attention. Those kids, you know, these school shootings, you know, somebody's not paying attention to these kids. And. We, I know the burden on parents. You got some parents work two or three jobs. They don't. They rarely see the kids. We see them. Yeah. First lady, if you do the math, <laughs> we're with kids more than families are with them over the course of a year. Yep. And yep. so we got to be the ones to find things out, yep. and not just teaching them, but looking them in the eyes. Is everything all right? Kids will tell you. I had a little second grader saying he didn't want to live anymore. Oh. You know? And but he told us. Yeah. We got him help. Yeah. We got him in a facility that's gonna help him. You know, paying attention. Mm. Paying attention. I you know, I know with social media, there's a lot of outlets for kids, mm. but when they walk into us, if we don't pay attention, this mm. is what happened. And they 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 shut down. You know, I tell teachers, you got to talk to every kid every day. Okay. Don't let, don't let little Junior sit in the back because he's not being naughty and don't talk to him. You got to connect with him mm-hmm. because when you connect with them, they will tell you, they'll yeah. tell you everything. And when they tell you, we can help them. Yeah, mm. oh, that's beautiful. It, it really is about those powerful human connections. Mm-hmm. Every child needs a human connection yes. every single day. Yes. Oh, that's, that's just, that's unbelievable. And I, I love, I love what you're doing. And I I just, I just saw something yesterday about what you said, how powerful that greeting is. Mm -hmm. I I had never thought about that, Mm -hmm. but, but I just saw that yesterday and you're re reaffirming that Mm -hmm. to me today that that greeting, greeting that child every single day, it, it matters. Mm -hmm. Um, what's what's next for you you said five years what's next <laughs> you know, like, like you know i want to i want lincoln to i want lincoln to be the top school yeah you know when i first got here you know i go to principals meetings and they're calling out these schools with you know high data and good scores you know i'm just sitting back <laughs> waiting my turn because my last school in arizona it took me five years to okay now People know about us. And so fifth year, going to my fifth year at the beginning of this this past school year, um, we're at a Title I meeting, and, and Joan Ramble is going over scores. And there's Lincoln sitting at the top. It's like, Milton, what's going on at Lincoln? I was like, oh, my God, Joan, you finally asked me what's <laughs> going on. I've been waiting for five years. I've been sitting back patiently Listen to you call out these other schools, and now you call Lincoln. Look at that. She was like, what are you doing? I was like, 
you know what? It's, it's real simple with me. I'm, I'm my teacher's number one cheerleader. I cheer them on. I'm not riding their back about this standard, that standard. I let them do what they do, and I get them the tools that they need to 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 get kids to where they need to be, and I cheer them on. Mm. That's what I'm doing, and now we're seeing the results. Yeah. So so every year that I've been there, we've been steadily climbing. Lincoln was in turnaround. They were in third year turnaround when I got there. After the first year, we're out of turnaround. Mm. Everybody's like, "What did you do?" I was like, I built relationship with my teachers. They trust me. They, I, I go, I go to their classroom every day. Yeah. I go to every classroom every day, yeah. several times a day. I leave that office at eight twenty. The secretaries might not see me to ten thirty, <laughs> and then ten, th- eleven o'clock. I'm gone again because I'm in the cafeteria from eleven o'clock to one o'clock. I'm like mobile, mm-hmm. invisible. And my mentor Cheryl Clancy taught me that. She was mm-hmm. like. You, you once again, she was like, "You got that gift. Mm-hmm. Spread it around. Show it to people. You know they're gonna connect with you. You know, and they're gonna follow your lead." And I just, just continuously practicing being that yeah. positive role model, especially for Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And like I know that they love me, but I love them even more. Yeah, yeah. How important do you think it's been? You, you talked a little bit about this, but I want to go back to it. How important do you think it's been for you, for your students to see someone of color in your position of leadership? What do you think that does for your students? It is huge. It is huge. And they, they really don't know the effect because when, when kids see you, you know, like, I, I go to school every day, suit and tie, you know, they see you and, and kids like, Collins, are you rich? You know, I was like, no, I'm not rich. I was like, do you know that I was poor? I was like, do you know that kids laughed at me and my brother when we were in school and they laughed at our shoes? Our clothes? Really? Like they don't know. And, and, and this is true. Like kids laughed at us, you know? And, and I told my mom, I was like, you know what, mama, when I get out of school, I'm going to get me a good job. Ain't nobody ever going to laugh at the way I dress again. <laughs> so there's a story behind, you know, me dressing you up. You are a, a very <laughs> uh, well-known snappy dresser. That oh, that yeah. I can confirm. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's out there now. But it's, it, it's part of who I am because, you know, I'm an African-American male and I want especially our young males, not only just African-American males, but all males to know, like, you can do this too. You, I grew up poor. People laughed at me. I got bullied. But look at me now. As a result of staying in school, listening to teachers, learning from teachers, and being respectful, and everything will fall in place. It don't matter where you come from. Yeah. If you can do those things and be committed to education and listen to the adults that are in your, the positive adults that's in your life, just trying to guide you in the right direction, you too can be successful. Mm, that's such a powerful message. And, you know, you have to see it to be it. And, yeah. um, I mean, this is big motto for us too. We, we want to, uh, share your message of, of positivity and yes. that, that powerful example 
uh, we need that. We we yes. need your powerful voice in education, and um, it means so much to to all our students yes. in, in the state of Utah. We need to. Uh, you know, get proximate, give people the opportunity to get mm-hmm. proximate to somebody that has a unique and different story. And so I so appreciate uh, your time and sharing yeah. your story with us and to all our listeners. Um, and I am going to get to Lincoln Elementary. I Please. really am. <laughs> thank you. Thank thank you so much for having me that, you know, like I, 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 I realize, you know, how busy you are. And when you're, when I, so I got the email when I came back from my mom's services and I was like, what? She want to do a podcast with me? And so I got all excited and then I, I responded back to it and then I didn't hear anything. I was like, did she forget? I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be calling and bugging. But then I knew we had the the show up for teachers. I knew yeah. you were planning for that. And then like soon as that was over, that's when Emily reached out to me. I was like, I thought she forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I would never forget you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you were here. Thank you again for your for your leadership and everything you're doing in the state of Utah. Thank you so much. I would love to do it again. You can find Milton on Instagram at milton.collins.50. And to find more information about Lincoln Elementary, go to graniteschools.org. Thanks for being a friend. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.